So this has happened to me now about three times, I think, um, where I've gone to either a conference or uh, been out in public or just uh, with friends, and where I've actually gotten some evangelical Christians, some of our brothers and sisters in the faith, um, to really engage me in dialogue about Catholicism. And a couple of months ago, that happened, and it was with two friends, really. They're not, they're not close friends, but I would consider them, you know, they're friends at a certain level. And they were comfortable enough with me that we kind of got into it about the Catholic Church. And it was a lot of fun. We talked for like three hours. And at the end of that time, we hit the Eucharist. We started talking about Jesus in the Eucharist. And I thought I was going to be, okay, well, let me show you all the Bible, the biblical proofs for why Jesus really is in the Eucharist. You know, John 6, you know, and Luke 22, and uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, and Romans 1 and Romans 16, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't know if any of those are true because you don't know your Bible. Um, <laughs> but they are. <laughs> but I thought that was what we were going to do. And so I kind of went into that mode, and... They didn't because they said, Father Brian, we actually believe in the true presence. It blew my mind, right? They said, we know it's in the Bible. We know it's all over the place in the Bible. Uh, and we know the church has always believed in it from day one. And they said, so we believe in the true presence. And I was like, so why are you not Catholic, right? They had other issues and someday we'll tie them up and, you know, baptize them here. But, but here's my point. I asked them at some point during that conversation, and I said, well, wouldn't it be awesome to come into the church and to receive the Eucharist? And when they said one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life, and it kind of cut me out at the knees, because they both said, they said two things. We'll start with the second one they said. The second thing they said is they said, Neither of us would ever receive the Eucharist, even if we became Catholic, because we're so unworthy. Right? Punch in the gut. And they said that. And the guy said, I couldn't crawl up on my hands and my knees to receive Jesus. There's just no way. I would never be worthy. And the second thing they said, and here's my, this is going to be a big challenge in a homily, I think, to you today. I hope it is. The second thing they said is they said the greatest source of agony for them between Catholics and Protestants is they said, we feel like there are so many Catholics out there that we meet who aren't really following Jesus. They might go to church on Sundays, but if you talk to them, they don't seem to love Jesus they don't seem to care about following after him, but somehow they get to receive him in the Eucharist. Powerful, right? And I thought to myself, they're right. Today's gospel is a resurrection gospel, but it's not just that. Today's gospel is about the Eucharist. It's about the most powerful thing Jesus ever gave us, which is himself. And I hope you heard it today. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. This is, I know I say it every week, but this is my favorite story in the Bible. 
It's amazing. And, and I want to walk through that story with you a little bit today, brothers and sisters. And I want to challenge you that this story should change your life. Today's gospel, the church has always understood that what happened today in the gospel is the mass. It's Easter Sunday. This is the end of Luke's gospel. We're in Luke 24. It's the second to last story Luke tells in the gospel. And it's the mass. It's Easter Sunday evening, and these two disciples, and there's so much to this we won't go into, they're leaving Catholicism. They're leaving the church. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking away. They've despaired that Jesus is God. And so Jesus walks with them. And he begins to open the scriptures to them. He talks about Moses and all the prophets. And I, I love this line. He says, um, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus gave a homily. And aren't you grateful that I don't every week tell you all the things in scripture concerning Jesus, there was a guy last night I said that, and there was a guy in like pew four right about where Judy is, and he just looked at me and he was like, I'm, he's like, I'm so glad you don't do that. <laughs> I was like, get out of my church. <laughs> but Jesus gives a homily. And at the end, listen, after everything happens, listen to what they say. One of the disciples says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the way while he opened to us the scriptures, that is supposed to be you at Mass. The reason the church gives us the word of God and the reason there is such a thing as a homily is that God's word is supposed to speak to you. It was written for you. It's supposed to open up your heart. When you come to Mass, brothers and sisters, I know it's hard sometimes. Our attention spans in the modern world are so short but if, you're, if you really want to have the life of God in you, you've got to listen to his word. You have to open up your heart a little bit. And when people proclaim the word of God here, you have to hear that not as some book that's from the past, but as something that's speaking to you. That's so important. So we have readings, and then we have a homily. And then, of course, Jesus sits at table with them, And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. That's an exact quote of the words Jesus uses in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. Two chapters ago, at the Last Supper, the night Jesus gives us the Eucharist, he takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread to the apostles. Exact same phrase used here. And notice that as soon as he does that, their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then he disappears. Why? The early church has always read this. The Catholicism has always seen this for 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters, why? Jesus ascends to heaven. He disappeared. But he's present with his people in the Eucharist. There's nothing greater. Powerful Eucharistic story. 
In Acts 2.42, we're going to be told that the early church in Jerusalem, that they did four things. They held steadfast to the prayers, to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, which is Eucharistic imagery and language. It's all over the place. Now, the, these two disciples, they go back, and I just want to tell you, they go back and their hearts are burning within them and they rush to Jerusalem. And, it, and Luke tells us twice, by the way. He already says that they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, but then the two disciples go back and Luke repeats it for emphasis. Then they told the apostles what had happened on the way and how he was known to them, made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Do you want to see Jesus Christ? Do you want to know him? The way he left his presence among us, the way he is present among us, is in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. And what I want, brothers and sisters, and what I hope you want, is I want to be an on-fire Catholic. I want to be on fire for my faith. I don't want, I want to be like those two disciples running back to Jerusalem with their hearts on fire. And I want to be a good witness to our Protestant brothers and sisters. Those two said that to me. I just wanted to cry. I probably did because I cry all the time. But <laughs> we take it for granted what the, the gift that Jesus Christ gave us. It is the most amazing thing any of us could ever receive. And we should never grow complacent about that. And the rest of the homily today, I want to challenge you on how you can do that. How can you come to Mass and be on fire? And it's really simple. The very simple point I wanted to make to you today, brothers and sisters, is that the, the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist, is food for those who are on the way. It is only food for those who are on the way. If you go here, if you've been here a while, you know that the way, hodas in Greek, that's the first name for Christianity. Christianity is not a system. It is not a, a, a list of truths. It's not check marks. It's not just a moral life. Christianity is a way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity is a way. That word can also mean road. It means path. Our responsorial psalm today, did you hear it? We sang in our responsorial psalm, Lord, you will show us the paths of life. Paths, Greek word, hodas, way. To be a Christian is to walk in the way. This is set up all through Luke's gospel. I could quote five, six different passages. I'll just quote one to you. In Luke chapter 3, right, John the Baptist is getting prepared for his ministry. And Luke says this. He says, John appears preaching a baptism of repentance as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. 
To be a Christian means, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean you understand everything in Christianity. It means you're walking. It means you left something behind to follow Christ. And the Eucharist is bread for those who are on the way. And if you're not on the way, I want to challenge you. If you're not following after Jesus, you shouldn't be eating of his bread. If you haven't left something behind to follow after him, you're never going to appreciate the Eucharist. So think of it this way. I'm always trying to think of analogies. When you become a priest, except for you ladies, um, but when you're teaching ladies, when you're teaching others, analogies are always good. So when I did pilgrimage in Spain, and I talk about that pilgrimage a lot because I love it, when you go to Spain and you're a pilgrim, you walk the Camino de Santiago, which means the way of St. James, when you walk that, what happens is you wake up every day and you hate your life because you carried a 20 or 30 pound pack for 16 miles the day before. And you're supposed to be a Christian, and if you're me, you're supposed to be a priest. And you wake up at like 6.30 in the morning, and your body hates you, and so you hate everybody else. And that's what happens. And you wake up, and everybody's, you're supposed to like love each other or something, and I'm just like, don't even talk to me. Like, don't even think about it. And maybe you eat a banana or something, and you walk for like an hour, hour and a half, and all along the Camino are these little cafes. And you stop for a second breakfast. And it is the best thing ever. Right? You get that sweet nectar of life called espresso. Right? And you get, you get a little Danish. And like, you've been walking for an hour, you, you drink your coffee, and all of a sudden you're like, God, I love you. <laughs> and, like, and I even love these people with me. <laughs> and one of the group members I was with last time this guy, he was always anxious for us to get into places on time and to get the pace going faster. And one day, he suggested we skip second breakfast. You should have seen the look I shot him. I was like, don't you ever speak against second breakfast again, or you will answer to your priest. But here's my point. If you had just driven up to that cafe if you had just kind of comfortably woken up at 10 in the morning and, and moseyed on down to get a Danish and a cup of coffee, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't revive you. It doesn't give you life. The Eucharist is the food for those who are walking. And if you come to Mass, brothers and sisters, and we all have moments like this, I do as a priest, where it's like, Lord, I, I receive the Eucharist every day. I say Mass every day. And I want my heart to be in it, but sometimes it's hard. Here's the key. If you're really giving of yourself, if you're walking the Christian walk, which means you've left the world behind, it's so hard. Your body's going to hurt. Your spirit's going to hurt. And you're going to be hungry to come to Mass. Because you know you can't do it without him. You've worn yourself out so much, you just think, Lord, I cannot live this. I can't love my enemies. I can't be pure. I can't be forgiving. I can't live simply. 
unless I'm in you and you are in me. The gospel today talks twice about Jesus reveals himself to them on the way. The Eucharist is for those who are walking on that journey. And I want to leave you with one last image this morning. There's a big Old Testament uh, prefigurement of the Eucharist. And you all know it. It's when Moses, when God rains down bread from heaven in Exodus chapter 16. It's called manna. In fact, at Mass, when you hear the priest say at the Eucharistic prayer, um, send, it, send down your spirit like the dewfall, that's a reference to Exodus 16. The manna, dew, comes down, and when the dew evaporates, there's manna, there's bread from heaven. Here's the point. In Exodus 16, the Israelites, the only time God gives them the bread from heaven is after they've run out of food from Egypt. So when the Jews escape Egypt, they have all this food. But God doesn't rain down bread from heaven for them right away. He waits until they run out and they're hungry. And early Christians understood that to mean Egypt's a symbol of the world. If you're being fed on worldly things, if you're like everybody else, if what feeds you is entertainment and power and pleasure and you worship at the idols of money and sex and power, you'll never hunger for God's Eucharist. You'll never get it. It'll never be something powerful for you. God waits until we run out of the food of this world to feed us with the food of heaven. So brothers and sisters, you have a tremendous gift. We have a tremendous gift. So much better than anything God could ever have given us, he's given us himself in the Eucharist. May we never take that gift for granted.